Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This one will be on common cardiac surgeries in adults, the role of CT in detection and management of complications. I think it's a very important topic, one that's not addressed that often, and I gave this talk in part at the NASCI meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, I want to show you a bunch of cases and a bunch of complications and a bunch of the pitfalls. Good article by Linda Chu last year, after aortic root surgery, complications can be uh, categorized as within the aorta, outside the aorta, and benign post-op changes. And uh, Linda does mention very nicely that technique is really critical, and that often these cases are indeed very confusing. Expected mortality rate in elective aortic root repair is less than 5%. However, these patients are at risk for developing early and late post-operative complications. So let's first step back. Now we, we know what we're talking about. And let's look at scanning. Well, the key thing is if you want to do the aortic root, you need to do gated acquisition. If you don't do gated acquisition, you have artifact. And you can miss a dissection or overcall a dissection. Small pseudoaneurysms are very easy to miss. It's hard to judge the relationship to the coronary arteries. There are a number of ways of doing it. Timing uh, based on trigger points is typically the ideal. Again, the trigger point will vary depending on your scanner. We like to use an injection rate of 5 cc's a second for 100 cc's of contrast. And when we scan parameters of 0.75 millimeters every 0.5. So very nice protocol. Here's just two examples of the protocol on a 64-slice scanner or on a dual-source scanner. The um, key thing, of course, is that the uh, faster the scanner, the easier it is to get a good study. Slice thickness of 0.75 by 0.5, we keep relatively constant. It's important that once you acquire the data, the analysis is more than the axial imaging. Routine NPR, coronal and sagittal, and 3D imaging are ideal, particularly with volume visualization. Volume rendering is really ideal for looking at many of the complications. Questions about additional studies. Occasionally in post-op patients, we'll do non-contrast CT, and occasionally when a question arises, we'll do a delayed scan at 60 to 90 seconds later, but often we'll do a single acquisition. Article by Prescott Fosch in Radiographics, very nice article to look at. Post-op complications seen at CTA that require further intervention include pseudoaneurysms, anastomotic stenosis, dissections, and aneurysms. So let's go back, recognizing those complications, and putting into that uh, three categories, which is a nice, easy way of looking at things. So let's look at those categories, okay? What about pseudoaneurysm? Pseudoaneurysms, in my experience, are incredibly rare if I was giving the lecture five years ago or three years ago. But I've seen so many pseudoaneurysms the last couple of years. Perhaps it's the patients are, uh, more patients are being operated on. Perhaps um, patients have more complications these days. But nevertheless, pseudoaneurysms occur in less than 0.5% of cases after cardiac surgery. Mediastinitis and graft infections are the most common risk factors for developing a pseudoaneurysm. Also, patients who have some of the uh, various uh, congenital diseases like Marfan's or Katagayashu's or, um, you know, uh, Lois Dietz are going to have more complications. You also can see increased risk of pseudoaneurysm in patients with dissection of the native aorta or excessive use of biologic glue. When you look at locations for pseudoaneurysms, the things you think about, the graft anastomosis site, coronary artery anastomosis sites, aortotomy site, 
the aortic cannulation site, needle vent sites, and of course, the graft anastomosis site is going to be the most common location. Now, with the graft anastomosis site being most common, coronary artery anastomosis site uh, is, is second. In terms of how patients present, Sometimes patients are just routinely scanned as a routine three-month follow-up, and we find a pseudoaneurysm. Other patients can have acute symptoms, chest pain, heart failure, sepsis. But again, many of the cases are incidental findings, even with very impressive pseudoaneurysms and even leaks from the pseudoaneurysms. Treatment of choice is graft replacement. Nice example of a pseudoaneurysm at the graft anastomosis site, very nicely shown on the 3D imaging or in this case, a pseudoaneurysm projected anteriorly um, at the site of a prior coronary artery anastomosis. Nicely again shown in 3D. You can see the uh, right coronary on these images. It's important to be able to do 3D imaging often because it makes life very, very easy. Here's a uh, pseudoaneurysm, the site of a prior cannulation. Now, what else? Here's another patient, AVR. Chest pain, what's going on? Well, when you look at the root, you see what looks like some fluid, and maybe that's post-op near the root of the aorta. But then as you look carefully, you recognize that there is a outpouching off the root. And you can see as you rotate the images into 3D where that outpouching is. And you recognize you're dealing very nicely with the pseudoaneurysm, which is also shown off these sagittal views. So again, multiple views make life much easier. Another example, AVR, look at the root, look at about uh, nine o'clock. You see that outpouching, that pseudoaneurysm is nicely seen. And again, at the root is going to be the most common place near the um, patient's resection site of a aortic valve replacement. And again, as you go through the images, here it is on an oblique view, very classically shown the entire uh, pseudoaneurysm and its orientation. And again, here's one more set of examples. As I mentioned with pseudoaneurysm, surgery is the study of choice, is the, uh, how we manage the patients. Aortic graft replacement, treatment of choice. Patch repairs are usually reserved for small pseudoaneurysms. The mortality rate of aortic root pseudoaneurysm has been reported to be between about 7% and 60% depending on age, clinical presentation, and any associated symptoms. People have tried things like stent grafts or coil embolization or thrombin injection. They really haven't worked well, but there are possibilities. Surgery really is the way to go. Endovascular treatment, there's only been a few successful reported cases. Limitations of the endovascular technique depends on location of the pseudoaneurysm and size of the pseudoaneurysm neck. An example, patient here has a Tavar. Has a, you can see the valve. And here it is on the contrast images, very nicely showing you the patient's pseudoaneurysm projected posteriorly at about 6 o'clock. Or this example, again, a pseudoaneurysm at the aortic root, very nicely shown on the coronal view, and especially nicely shown on the 3D imaging. So just a very nice example. And again, the importance of not only defining the presence of a pseudoaneurysm, but extent helps with surgical planning. What else? Well, complications within the aortic root. So classically, you're thinking about a coronary artery osteoaneurysm. 
These aneurysms develop at the reimplantation site and most common in patients with connective tissue disease like Marfan's or Lowy's Dietz. Uh, the management is subject of a long-term debate, but current management is usually conservative. These aneurysms develop at the implantation site, but again, these connective tissue disease have massive impact on what patients are going to get them. Here's a nice example, patient with Marfan's prior valve sparing root procedure, and you can see the patient's aneurysmal dilatation of the coronary arteries, but look at the patient's, uh, as we go through the images, look at the patient's uh, aneurysm by the root. You can see uh, the dilatation of the patient's right coronary artery, very nicely shown, kind of like a button dilatation. Up to one CM, people don't worry. Above CM, one people do begin to worry. And you can see it very nicely in this example. Now, in this case, no surgery was done. Now, sometimes we see strange lesions in this regard. Here's a patient presenting with chest pain and a breast mass. When they biopsy the breast mass, it was blood. You do a CT, look at the high density around the aortic root. That's blood. And look at the contrast-enhanced scans. And then look at the patient's left coronary artery. See how dilated it is? And when you look carefully, there's a pseudoaneurysm coming off it. And there's a leak there. And that's very classic. That's the example of that coronary artery aneurysm with active extravasation and pseudoaneurysm. And again, you could see it in multiple different uh, projections. Coronary dehiscence uh, is a, a rare complication following repair in Marfan's. Uh, we've seen a number of different patients who present late, but it can occur. So it's, again, it's something to really consider. Now, finally, when I think about complications outside of the aortic root, now you're thinking about PE, hemothorax, mediastinitis, sternal dehiscence, and perigraft seromas. And if we focus on these two, mediastinitis, up to 5% of patients with a mortality rate of up to 50%. Clinical presentation typically is sepsis, chest pain, and fever. And again, the challenge here is that CT findings may be difficult to distinguish early on from normal post-op changes. It's really hard. You see a little bit of air, a little bit of fluid. Well, you're going to expect that, but when is too much? too much. It can be very challenging. Acute mediastinitis occurs in up to 5% of patients who underwent medial sternotomy has reported mortality of up to 80%. Staphoreus is the most common causative micro microorganism of post-op acute mediastinitis. So a very important finding. Now you can ask, what do I look for for acute mediastinitis? Well, let me tell you. I look for increased attenuation of the mediastinal fat, I look for free air bubbles. I look for localized fluid collections, enlarged lymph nodes, pleural effusions, and potential empyema. Now, you have to be fair that post-op, you are going to see some dirty mediastinal fat, and you are going to see some air bubbles, and you're going to see some fluid. So it's really a challenge knowing what day you're post-op and when is enough enough. So here's a patient post-op. There's a lot of air bubbles in the anterior mediastinum near the ascending aorta, but this patient just had... Um, aortic surgery, so it's not a great surprise, as opposed to this case where now we're getting out more than a week post-surgery post or just over five days, the patient developed chest pain, and now the fluid collection is increasing, and this is going to be uh, uh, 
positive uh, for serratia, but it's infection, okay? So again, it's a challenge. Sometimes you're just gonna have to uh, tap the fluid if you're not certain. There have been several articles. This article by Catabini talks about the fact that metastinal gas on CT after the 14th post-op days is 100% sensitive and specific for acute metastinitis, but we don't wanna be waiting two weeks to make the diagnosis. What about three days later? When is enough enough? It's kind of tricky. The other thing is when you see air, it kind of can be problematic. Here's an example of air in the mediastinum. That's much more air than we typically would see for routine post-op. Then when you look posteriorly, you say, okay, wait a second, something's going on here. Where's the esophagus? Here it is on the um, coronal views and the axial views on the delayed phase. What is going on here? Well, basically what you're dealing with is a pseudoaneurysm which resulted in a rupture of the aorta into the esophagus. Uh, the patient has an aortoesophageal fistula. Um, and uh, just a very nice example. Again, a very unusual case. Another unusual case, or maybe not so unusual, chest pain. Now you see the high density in the wall of the aorta. That's, in, that's uh, nicely shown here on the coronal or sagittal as well as axial. Well, what is that? Well, when you give IV contrast, you see the aneurysm, but you'll notice that the density around the aneurysm is of high uh, CT attenuation. This is an intramural hematoma, which is very nicely seen here. So it's interesting, this patient was treated because of the intramural hematoma and the small ulceration with an endovascular graft. That was discharged, but now a week later comes back and you look and you say, what's going on here? There's a stent in place, position appears okay, lots of left pleural fluid and consolidation. What is going on? And why in the coronal view is it relatively high density within that consolidated lung? Well, look what happens when you give IV contrast. Look at that large pseudoaneurysm in the left mid-lung, which matches the shadow of what we were looking at. Okay, and here it is on the two views. So again, very unusual case. Here it is on a coronal again of a pulmonary artery pseudoaneurysm. An excellent example of one, but again, very, very uncommon. Um, and it's just such a wonderful example, A, about the dangers of non-contrast. Though again, in non-contrast, you should say there's something high density. Could this be a bleed? Two, the fact that patients with pulmonary artery can have complications from PEs, which are the most common, to arterial um, pseudoaneurysms, which have been reported, but uh, something we don't see every day. So again, something uh, very, very important to look at. So the next thing we'll talk about is pulmonary artery pseudoaneurysm in terms of clinical presentation. Um, and just to show you that case and rethink about it, hemoptysis is a great presentation, mass, opacification with hemithorax. Again, management needs to be aggressive. If management isn't aggressive, these patients will die. Now, what about pulmonary artery pseudoaneurysms? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's take a break for a second. We'll get tired and uh, we'll come back in a couple of minutes.